Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Investors Lounge. Join us as we cover a multitude of real estate-related topics with some of the brightest and most experienced minds in the industry. Our goal with the Real Podcast is to provide information, strategies, and insight on how to navigate the current and upcoming Canadian market. We use the experiences, knowledge, and the expertise of our guests and professionals in the field and offer it all back to you, the listener. We hope you enjoy the show. Be sure to check out our website at www.reilounge.ca. We're your hosts, Brian Fitzgerald, Erica Spencer, and Jay Shaw. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Real Estate Investors Lounge. My name is Brian Fitzgerald, and I'm sitting in this evening with Jay Shaw. And uh, this episode is actually kind of cool because this is something we haven't touched on before. But we're sitting in with Maria Recruit, who is um, an investor who specializes in short-term rentals. And she's been doing this for over 20 years, which is pretty amazing. And when you think of the appreciation of these properties over 20 years, it just makes she you told me she started when she was 12, Brian. That's amazing. <laughs> you do. You look about 32. That's fantastic. Oh, thank you. You guys are just so flattering. <laughs> I want to know how you got a mortgage at 12, though. <laughs> I've got my secrets. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, don't divulge too much, okay? But I'm really excited to, to sit down with you, Maria, because I've met you a couple times, but we've never had a long time uh, to chat. But uh, yeah. short-term rentals is not something I do, but I really have a, a great interest in it. And I'm really mm-hmm. looking forward to picking your brain about this. So how are you, first sure. of all? And uh, yeah, how are you, first of all? I'm fine. And what a wonderful day it was today, family day. So for me, I don't have any family around here. So I just relax and enjoy myself and uh, just continue working on my business. But I'm doing fine. How about you guys with your family? How was it for you? Everybody's sick. It's great. <laughs> 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 I'm I'm sucking on a halls right now and uh, my throat is scratchy and dry but it's all good it's good can't complain it's a beautiful day it was a nice day out it was a beautiful day yes it was and nice sunshine nice snow i like that awesome. i like staying in the house looking outside at the cold weather not having to go out <laughs> awesome so maria why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and uh mm-hmm. and your background in 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 these short-term in investments okay well i live in the niagara region I bought a home in Niagara Lake in 1988. That was my first home. And all that time, I heard about the bed and breakfast and the cottage rental business that was going on in Niagara Lake. So I was very, I thought that was a wonderful business model, and I wanted to go ahead with that. But I knew my little cottage just wasn't going to do it. So in 2000, I decided to purchase another property in Niagara Lake. And um, and it's kind of a funny story about my mortgage, but I'll talk about that later on, okay, because that, that's a really good story to that. But I got started in 2000 with two properties, one as a cottage rental, the other one as a bed and breakfast. So that's kind of my background. My, my own background, business background, I'm a business development consultant and a trainer. And, and I built a number of businesses from the bottom up. I'd say about eight of my own. And I started my first business in New York City in 1982. So that's kind of aging me. I'm a little bit older than 12 years old here, Jay. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I've I've been in business most of my life and I love business. And my father was an entrepreneur and he was in business. So he was also in the real estate business. He owned properties in Winnipeg. I'm originally from Winnipeg, Manitoba. So I I kind of saw my dad, what he was doing, and I would help him every Saturday. So that's kind of, you know, a really shortened version of who I am. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So would you say that's what made you start investing in real estate was your was your father? My father, well, you know what? I always admired him and he always said, Marie, you should be getting property. And, and I said, yeah, but how do I get? I don't have the money. But I bought my very first property in 1988 in Niagara Lake. And you're going to laugh. I got it for $90,000. And wow. <laughs> I know. I know. And that was at the top of the market, guys. 1988 was the top of the market at that time. The market fluctuates up and down. That was at the top of the market. My parents bought a bigger house and a nicer piece of property for $60,000 in 1985. Just think about that. So um, so I bought mine in 1988 and, um, and always wanted to buy more property, but I didn't have the money. 
So it was just kind of a long process. I, my first, very first property, I got, I got a first mortgage at 11%, a second mortgage at 13%. Then I got another loan, and then I put in $5,000 of my own in 1988 to buy my first property. But I wanted to buy more properties. I knew that was the way to make money in real estate. So that was always my dream. So, Maria, at that point, you basically kind of jumped on that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that first cottage in Niagara-on-the-Lake. Yes. From there, really, how, like, I mean, you, you threw, you know, some money into the, into the pot. From there, mm-hmm. how did you start to acquire more? Well, all those years, from 1988 until 2000, I was working and saving my money. And in 2000, I paid down most of my uh, second and third mortgage. I still had my first, but what I did was in 2000, because I wanted to purchase more properties, I just refinanced my own property in the year 2000. And from there, I pulled out the money, and that's the money I used to put as down payments on other properties. Um, it was easier then, Jay, to get first mortgages from the banks, because I got all my first mortgage from the banks. I had a mortgage broker, and he found all the first mortgages, and then I did put my own money down as a second mortgage, or I found people who would give me second mortgages at an arm's length mortgage or cash. So that's kind of how I built it. And I pulled out so much equity in 2000, I was able to buy three properties with that. Think about that. That little cottage that I paid 90000 for had appreciated so much over those years that I was able to pull out a lot of money. But my first mortgage was always through the bank, you know, to my mortgage broker. So I only put my own money, again, if I had to, was um, as a second mortgage. Isn't that nerve-wracking for you, though, Maria? Like, because I mean, a lot of the investors that Brian and I work with, I mean, they would, you know, first mortgage is scary enough, right? But then to mm-hmm. go out and find like a second, you know, a mm-hmm. second mortgage, wasn't that uh, a little nerve-wracking? Yeah, not at all. Not no? at all. Not at all. Because the people who lent me the second mortgages were people I knew or were friends, and I knew that I could make money. I knew that. Um, so I had my cottage rental. In 2000, my bed and breakfast in 2000. And then by the fall of 2000, I actually bought another two properties in St. Catharines and Thorold and had them as student rentals. And student rentals at that time were making a lot of money. We had the double cohort at that time. I was making a lot of money because I would have six bedrooms, two bathrooms, one kitchen. I was making a lot of money at that time. Can't do that now. You can't make that much money now. But certainly we were able to do it at that time. But no, I wasn't. I wasn't afraid of anything. I just, I just knew that's what I wanted to do, Jane. I just went at it, yeah. just straight into it. Yeah, just straight into it. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, Maria, yeah. what's the demand like for short-term rentals in in the Niagara area? Well, you know what? I, you mean as far as renting them out, like like if you were to own the short-term rentals? You know, it's very seasonal. That's why I, I really caution people if they want to get into the short-term rentals. And as you know, because you ran a short-term rental yourself too, Jay, right? Yep. I don't know how many seasons you ran it. If there's a very short-term rent at the time for short-term rentals, like it's usually from May until the end of October. That's when you make your money. And then after that, if you're lucky enough to get some people coming or if you want to change it over into a long-term rental at that time. But it's a lot of work. Short-term rentals are a lot of work. Um, And you have to be able to diversify very quickly with short-term rentals and and be open to what may be coming down your way. It's not for everyone, as you know, from your own experience, right? But that's something that, that works very well with my personality. I kind of look at anyone who wants to invest in real estate. Look at your personality and what you feel comfortable with. And for myself, I feel, I feel very comfortable with my short-term rentals. So, Maria, during the off-season, like, because, mm-hmm. I mean, I think you're right. Like, I mean, the Niagara area, it's really just that, you know, yeah. basically yeah. April, May, long weekend till, mm-hmm. what would you say, October, end of October? Yeah, in Niagara Lake until the end of October, yeah. yes. And then what were you doing with your short-term rentals between, like, November to April? March, okay, April? well, I would have people that would stay short-term after that, maybe a month at a time, or okay. would stay longer term. So that's how I was able to maintain them, is to be able to be diversified that way, is that have people stay with me that were staying longer term. But I've always had long-term rentals on the side all along. Right. And that is really where you get your money and it's a steady income that's coming in. So, you know, one property can help another property financially. Yeah, the diversification that yeah. you're talking about, right? Yeah. 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 No, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, having a diversified portfolio is very important yeah. for any investor. 
Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you find in the off season that you're able to at least carry the property? Like, I mean, obviously you're not making what you are in, you mm-hmm. know, the high season, but like, yes. are, yeah. you, are you carrying those properties like in the off season or are you just, yes, I'm able to, yeah. yes, I'm okay. able. some months are easier than other months. Maria, with regards yeah. to short-term rentals, because we don't, we haven't actually talked about short-term rentals on here. Can you kind of describe what classifies a short-term rental versus a typical buy and hold for our listeners? Well, sure. Sure, Brian. Short-term rentals, there's always been short-term rentals in the real estate world. Normally, they're called bed and breakfast. So what that is, is people would come and stay in in a person's home, and you would have either share a bathroom or you have private bathrooms. Now, people are very sophisticated. So instead of going to a hotel or a motel, you come to a bed and breakfast in someone's home, and they would serve you breakfast, and you would stay there for one day up until maybe a week or whatever. So that would be considered short-term rentals. Anything less than 28 days is considered a short-term rental, Brian. And that also happened with cottage rentals or vacation homes that you would find in the beach areas, like in Florida. Those are short-term rentals that Canadians go and rent. It could be two months, could be three months, could be four months, but they're short-term. They're not there. They they haven't signed a lease for long-term. So it's usually normally less than 28 days. But having said that, you can do short-term rentals with your properties for maybe three months or whatever. It's not a year-long lease. So that's how I would classify it. Perfect. Perfect. So, Maria, like with your different short-term rentals, where are you typically advertising these? Like, are you like a traditional rental? Like, are you on Kijiji? Are you on Airbnb? Oh, like, yes, of course. Airbnb? Of course. Like, where, where yes, well, Kijiji always, you know, it's a really good source. Not for short-term, but for long-term, yes, okay? Um, you would be normally listing on listing sites. So listing sites such as Booking.com, Airbnb, Expedia, VRBO, which is Vacation Rental by Owner, BedandBreakfast.com. There was many, many listings. There are many listing sites. And also we had our own website. So when I started my own short-term rental 20 years ago, I, I had my website built for $500. I was one of the few that had even had a website. So I belong to the Bed and Breakfast Association in Niagara Lake, and they would get people calling in to the association. They would send people to us, but no one could survive on what they were doing because that's, that's very, you know, they had a number of bed and breakfasts and cottage rentals they were sending people to. So I had to go out and, and um, uh, really start marketing, and I had to start marketing on websites and on Google and all of that. There's a lot of marketing. Any, anything that has to do with short-term rental is, I would say, about 80 to 90% marketing and 10% actually is actually the delivery of the product, which is your home for the guests. It's a lot of marketing. Yeah, that's really interesting because, I mean, it's, a, it's such a fundamental shift from, you know, the traditional long-term market. It is. Yes, it is. And it's not for everyone. There's many people that go into it and then just leave it because it's too much work. There's a lot of work. You have to have a good team. If you don't have a good team, and if you're not young enough to do all the work yourself, uh, how can you be cleaning five bedrooms in one day or three bedrooms in a day? Because basically that's what you're doing. You're washing, you're changing uh, the bedding, you're uh, you know, maintaining the lawn maintenance, the, the home. Like it's, it's a lot more work <laughs> having someone short-term than long-term. Long-term is a piece of cake compared to short-term rentals. I had a newfound appreciation for the, you know, the hotel industry, right? And, and the, oh, yeah. uh, you know, the cleaners oh, that would go in there after, yeah. you know, running ours. And I mean, we were only in it for a year and a half, two years. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's yeah. it's definitely a lot of work. I mean, it is more rewarding, but at the yeah. same time, I mean, yeah. you have to, like you say, you have to see what's coming on the horizon, right? So. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you're always shifting gears. Like, I mean, I'm always looking ahead of time. You know, is this going to be a good year or not going to be a good year? What should I be? How do I shift gears to make things work? Like, I'm, I always kind of look at the market within three months, and I kind of look at what's going on in three months. And this past winter has been quite poor. It's been very, very slow for everyone, hotels included. And I know it's because the economy. People say, why, 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 why is this? The economy, the economics of it. People don't have money. They don't have jobs. Look at what's closing up. Look what's going on in the world. And so it's going to be reflect on uh, who's coming to your home. Now, having said that, in the summertime, whether they have money or not, they're probably going to travel, you know? And, yeah. and years ago when I started, we had a lot of people coming, mostly baby boomers, coming on weekends. I had almost every weekend booked. Um, 
you know, for many years, uh, people would come for two nights and stay at my cottage rental and at my bed and breakfast. Uh, but now I'm not finding that. There's less and less people coming and wanting two night bookings. They may just want one because that's all they can afford. So it really depends on the economics and where you're located. That's the other thing, too, where you're located. So, Maria, what would you say is the rise? Like, I mean, with seems to be a lot of newfound interest with regards to short-term rentals. Short-term rentals. You've been someone who's been in the industry before it became, you know, this big wave of Airbnb. Yeah, and that. Airbnb, what, yes. Why do you think there's such a, uh, like, a new take-up of, of, like, people wanting Surge to... Surge of interest? Yeah. I know exactly why. Because of the Ladder and Tenant Board, LTB and Residential Tenancy Act, and this is all over the world. So, and what I mean by that, Landlord and Tenant Board, is that when you have someone living in your home long-term and they don't leave your home, they can stay there and live in your home for eight months without paying. You have no rights even to enter your own home. And also, even if you do get them out of your home, if they destroy your property, what are your resources and where are your recourses to get your money back? So I hear more and more people switching from long-term rentals to short-term rentals. And that's why there's been such a rise. Because I and I, I'm on many uh, Facebook pages where we're discussing what's going on with the tenants. I see a lot of the long-term, you know, landlords saying, "As soon as I, I get rid of this tenant, I'm going to go into short-term rentals." I see that time and time and time again, and that's why once we change the landlord and tenant board rules back, and and we we, we get fairer rules, a lot of people are just going to go back to long-term rental. When do you think that's going to happen? Those rules changing. Well, I'm part of a president's group in Ontario that we're working on that. We actually had a delegation sent to the minister's forum about the housing supply. And I just did a radio show actually last week about that. And the president's about, you know, 12 to 15 uh, association, landlord association in Ontario. We're grouping together. We're going to be going to the government saying, hey, this is what we'd like to see change. What we'd like to see change in the landlord and board and the Residential Tenancy Act. And we're feeling quite positive about that because we see that the government is looking for resolution to these problems. They're they're asking and looking. That's why they had that form to begin with. There is a housing shortage. And they don't realize that we as small landlords can help them with the housing shortage. The last podcast I did, that radio show, was exactly at that. You know, we can help you with the housing shortage. We small landlords and you, you don't even look at us, you don't even think about us, but we're, we're, you know, but treat us better. Be good to us. Don't let people abuse us. Don't let people destroy our properties. And guess what? We're going to be on your side and we're going to work together. So that's why there is such a rise in short-term rentals, Brian and Jay. Very cool. I wish you the best of luck with that. Uh, Maria, what were some of the external factors you looked, uh, looked at that helped you choose the areas that you're in now? Okay. Yeah. For me, uh, destinations. Like for me, it was a destination. So Niagara Lake is a, is a great destination, a white collar area. Uh, it has the, the, you know, it has the history there, the museums. It has the Shaw Festival. It has the wineries. It has the food. And I love living in Niagara Lake. And I wouldn't think of going outside of the area as far as having my bed and breakfast and cottage rental there. Right? Now, I have tried. Niagara Falls, it's a completely different clientele in Niagara Falls. I have tried St. Catharines, again, a a completely different clientele. So it depends on what kind of people, what price range you're looking for, then you choose the area. But it should be a destination. Like Niagara Falls is a destination. Niagara Lake is a destination. Toronto is a destination. Right. But that doesn't mean you can't have short-term rentals in other places. People do that all the time. Like maybe in a university city or in a hospital near the hospital where you offer room rentals for people who have, you know, loved ones in the hospital that need long-term care. And they don't want to pay the hotel because it's too expensive. And maybe they they want a breakfast served. So they would stay in a bed and breakfast instead of going to a hotel. But Maria, you're also doing, like, I mean, you're not just catering to the vacation rentals. Like, I mean, you have a couple properties where you do short-term room rentals as well. Like for, you know, someone working professional who's only in town for a few months short-term, right? You do those as well? Yes, I do that. Yeah, I do that. Yeah, I do that also. 
Because I think a lot of people, they think of short-term rentals, they think of Airbnb, and I have to buy all this really nice furniture and, you know, pretty it all up. And I mean, there's a few Mm -hmm. different ways you can do short-term rentals, right? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. And it depends on your clientele. It depends on your price point. So, for instance, there's some people who do hostels in their home, and they have bunk beds. I know one lady in St. Catharines who has bunk beds, and she charges $25 a night, and her place is always full. But that's a short-term rental. So she has these people. It's not a fancy home. It's a very small home. But she makes breakfast for them, and uh, people come and stay at her place, maybe go to university or have a job for a couple of months. We've got these different forms. Um, I like mine to be... um, above average. My homes are above average and what I do in the homes and decorations and all of that is above average. So that so my clientele is is that kind you know, that's my clientele. So I would prefer like I've had um um I just had a university prof from, from China come and stay for a couple months in one of my homes in St. Catherine. You know, so yeah, so I've had uh, people from other countries that want to immigrate to the country. I've had people from Russia from Saudi Arabia, from France, from Italy, from Germany, you name it, I get them from all over the place. But I am, um, you know, upper end price-wise, that's the people who come to me. But you can be at any price point. You can be at the lower end where everyone shares the same bathroom and, you know, it's just a simple bed. You know, if you want to bring your own sheets and all that, some people do it that way, right? They do that. Also, sometimes that's what they do. Uh, Myself, I provide everything, everything television, furniture, sheet, pillowcase, the best of the best. So that's when the price point goes up with that. So Maria, we just did a we just did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with regards to screening and, and properly screening yes. Uh, yes. tenants. So I mean with short term rentals, like especially mm-hmm. your vacation and your cottage rental and that mm-hmm. obviously, you know, the screening process is a little bit different when you're accepting guests into your home. Um, walk us through kind of how you screen your guests Okay, so as far as short-term, like in other words, for one or two-day stays, well, I have the credit card information. So we have the credit card information, we get the email address, we get the phone numbers. They come through larger sites. So, like in the summertime, you have very serious people coming. You, you don't, you know, they're coming for one or two days, they're there for a reason. Either celebrate with the families, the wine tastings, or going to Niagara Falls, or whatever else. If somebody wanted to stay in my property longer term, then I do the same thing that you do, Jay. I ask them for three pieces of ID. I want to talk to their last landlord. Um, I want to know who they are. And then I ask, because they are living in my own home, I ask for a, a security deposit because I live in the same house. So as an owner, I can do that. So I ask the same things. And, I, and if I want to, I'll get them to sign an agreement. And I'm going to caution you caution everyone that what's happening now with Airbnb, especially if you're on instant book, be very careful because a lot of the people that can't find anywhere else to live will go on instant book and they'll come to your home and they'll either squat in your home, become squatter, or will destroy your home. So you have to be very, very careful. You know, these, these tenants who, you know, who are bad tenants can't find any place else to go because everyone's screening people now and they're not going to take anyone are using Airbnb to enter your home. And I've written about that for everyone to be very, very careful. This is what's happening. So just be aware. There is a group on Facebook called Airbnb Blacklist. And what they do is they talk about the people who have done damage to their homes or destroyed their homes through Airbnb. So you have to be careful. Airbnb doesn't care about you. They just want the portion. It's just a listing site. Like, they're making so much fuss about Airbnb. Airbnb is a listing site, luckbooking.com. Nobody jumps all over the place. Oh, that's a booking.com home. You know, it's a short-term rental. It's my home. But, you know, but everybody is making this big fuss about Airbnb, and they don't really understand what it is. It's just a listing site. You pay them a portion. uh, When they send somebody to you, they're just an agency, Mm -hmm. like a travel agency. You know, you pay them a portion. That's what a lot of people tend to forget, right? Is yes, they, I know. Airbnb doesn't own any homes, right? I mean, no, they're just a no. listing site. And at the end That's of the right. day, Maria, your That's interactions true. with Airbnb, would you find they're mm-hmm. pro-host or they're pro-customer? Well, they used to be pro-host. They're pro-customer now. What about you when you were dealing with them? Um, yeah, I mean, I found that we only had 
we only had one we had one issue when we had to deal with them and they were there's a lot of hoops to jump through yeah and i kind of i, I yeah. got off the phone with them and felt like they were not on my side so yeah um yeah. and yeah. i think that's that's disappointing but i think it's, the most important thing is you have yeah. to, you have, you still have to do that important screening, right? Yes, is that you, you do. don't just yes, let anyone do. into the house, right? Yeah. Like we always used to ask the question, "What's bringing you to town?" Right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then we would verify. Exactly. Like yeah. we had this, I think we had like four young guys, and they were coming mm-hmm. to a conference in Niagara Falls, and I'm like, "What's the mm-hmm. name of the conference?" Yeah. And they stopped responding. So that was exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's what I do for long or short term. Same thing. Go through it. I actually had a gentleman who wanted to rent my cottage for four months, a single man. I thought, oh, this is wonderful. So I said, okay. So, but I asked all these questions. And then at one point, he didn't answer me anymore. So who knows who he really was? Because there was no picture of him. He was just new on Airbnb. So no picture of him, no history. There was just one, um, somebody who left one, um, he had stayed with them and they thought he was great. But what people are doing now is they're getting their friends to write up oh. reviews. You have to be careful about that. That's another thing that people are doing. Or they're getting their friends to write reviews for them. So you don't really know. That's why you have to. Make sure you see their picture. Make sure you get their identification. Because like sometimes they're being just asked for one, one piece of identification. What, is that an email address? <laughs> Phone number is another identification? Well, and then what, address maybe? Well, I don't see their picture. I, they don't have any reviews. They want to come and stay long term, and they don't want to abide by my rules. I don't even think I don't even consider them. I just yes. say, you know, yeah, you 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 have to be very very careful because they slip they slip through they slip through. And well, and you're fortunate where you can be picky, right? At the end of the day, I think some of these people they yeah. buy these properties, you know, on the high, and they they need to fill them, so yeah. they they take yeah. those on. You know, those uncalculated yeah. risks and then it backfires yeah. on them, right? It so does. It does. It's very easy too, right? Like especially in the high season, like when you're getting three, four hundred dollars a month mm-hmm. or a night, sorry. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you just see the dollar signs and you're like, Oh, I'll just cut this corner, right? And then yeah. you know, it comes back. But I mean that's that's really good advice, especially from you know, from you who's been at it for a while and, and just mm-hmm. some of the tips that uh, that you have in terms of looking at that. Yeah, always be diligent, always be diligent. It's your property. I mean, when you think about it, Jay and Brian, you know, you have invested three, four, five hundred thousand dollars on a property. Would you just let anybody in there? Yeah. Right? You're just staying here. The other thing, too, is another thing, and that's what I like about your group, Jay, is that you are are educating people. You have your meeting once a month, like I have my meeting once a month in Niagara. We are educating the people. So they won't make mistakes because what person in the world would have a business that they just took a loan for four or five hundred thousand dollars and are not learning about their investment, are not learning how to you know how, how to choose the right tenant to come into their home or get the right insurance? Like where in the world is, do you, can you justify spending that kind of money and not becoming educated? When you think about it, yeah, no, absolutely. I think that that's the biggest thing, and I mean, I think. Brian, you and I were fortunate when we started out is that we just kind of, and Maria, even yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like we just kind of mm-hmm. learned as we went along, right? Yeah, I went and took courses. I took courses. I took courses. Yeah. I had a mentor. I was always talking to managers that, you know, were in the business a lot longer, got their paperwork from them, listened to what they said. And I got in when it was still pretty good. We still had good tenants. You could still find good tenants, you know? Yeah. Things weren't as sophisticated as they are now. So, and you've been um, fortunate, like with your cottage rental and your and your oh, breakfast, yeah. like to have oh, uh, yeah. you, you've had repeat guests and great guests and those things, right? Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. I'm talking about my longer term rentals too. Right? Oh, okay, my longer term rentals, gotcha. um, because that's where you can make your mistakes. They can stay in there for a month, destroy the property, not pay you anything, and and like you were just talking, people don't have deep pockets, and that's why I think they take anyone, and I think that's dangerous when people do that. Yeah. I think you have to have a bank account and you have to be able to borrow money from someplace to carry the property until you get the right person. I prefer to stay empty and yeah. rather than have somebody bad that I'm not, I'm losing sleep over and my gut's bothering me. I don't want to do that anymore. Can't do it. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. So Maria, when it comes to your short-term rentals, mm-hmm. there's certain characteristics, obviously you're looking at certain properties, right? What characteristics are important to you in your field? 
even when, when I choose a property, well, the, the reason I chose the property in Niagara Lake is because they were in Niagara Lake, but also because I could see the return on my investment. I had not paid that much for it. First of all, it wasn't that expensive at that time, although I was, you know, the budget had almost tripled from when I bought my other properties, right? But I look for houses that have a lot of bedrooms and a lot of bathrooms. That's very important for me. And in Niagara Lake, you can only rent out three bedrooms uh, as a bed and breakfast. So I had to make sure I had three good bedrooms, uh, beautiful bedrooms with beautiful bathrooms that I'd be able to make good money from. So that's what I look for is uh, destination, first of all. Next of all, a house that doesn't cost too much and it has a lot of bedrooms and a lot of bathrooms in good areas. Location, location, location. Plenty of parking. That's the other thing, too. Plenty of parking. The last thing, which is the most important thing, make sure that it, you can legally run a short-term rental and make sure you can legally run a bed and breakfast or a cottage rental. And why do I say that? Because in Niagara Falls right now, there's a whole group of people that have short-term rentals to Airbnb that the city is finding and saying that you can't be running. It is illegal for you to be running the Airbnb in Niagara Falls. Think about that. Maria, what do you mean when you say cottage rental in Niagara Lake? Can you paint a picture for me what you mean by well, a cottage rental is, my, my own cottage rental is a heritage home built in 1871. It's a 1,000 square feet, and it has two bedrooms and two bathrooms. And I rent that whole property out. So the people stay in that one property. It's a vacation home or cottage rental. That's what I mean by cottage rental. So they stay by themselves. That, you know, they stay there. The whole property is for their use, and the house is for their use. Okay, gotcha. Clear. Um, so Maria, we talked a little bit about the the very first deal that you financed. Can you yeah. talk about a couple couple deals? Uh, maybe break down a deal or two that you've um, either a most recently worked on, or maybe the one after that. Just walk people through kind of how you went about acquiring more properties. Well, the last two that I acquired, I just acquired one last summer. It closed in June. I um, got private financing, so I went to my mortgage broker. I had the same mortgage broker now for over 20 years. And he found me um, a woman who was willing to give me the first mortgage. And then I put my own money in a second mortgage. So that's what I've done recently. I'm not into the joint venture partnerships like you guys are, although I may be looking at them in the future. But for me, I prefer people lending me first and second mortgages and that's what they did. So they let me out a first mortgage and I put my own money in as a second mortgage. And I did that for the last two deals that I did. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah. And it took me over a year to get those deals done. <laughs> over a year, <laughs> it wasn't my easy. Yeah. How do you keep houses on the market that long? My because, they were, because they were private sales. Private sales. Yeah. Private sales. They knew me. I knew them. They wanted to sell to me. I wanted to buy from them. So yeah. they were willing to wait. And, you know, I had a number of false starts before I finally made the deal happen. So it was very, very time-consuming and very intense with my last two deals. It it's a dance, like too, that. right? Like I think that's it's a the big dance thing. now. Yeah, it's a big dance now. Well, years ago, it wasn't that way, Jane. It was easier years yeah. ago to get mortgages. And now it's getting tougher and tougher. And that's why I really admire you. You're doing um, a lot of joint venture partnerships. And that's another, I, I would think that's an easier way to get uh, financing. Well, it's not for everyone, right? Like, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, exactly. you have to exactly. think the biggest thing with joint ventures and, you know, we have a guest coming on in, in uh, a few weeks. And the biggest thing is you have to make sure that the partners are compatible, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. uh, and that's one of the things that, you know, when Eric and I started, um, we really, you know, we really kind of banged our heads against the wall to be like, you know, we didn't realize that when we were meeting with people, they were less mm-hmm. interested in the property and the property details. And they were more mm-hmm. interested in us and our ethics and our integrity and oh, how we okay. did business. And yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially with real estate investing, like you're helping people solve a problem, right? And it yeah. goes to the same with joint ventures, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, you may have a partner that can get mortgages. And then you may have a partner that, you know, has money but can't get mortgages. So if you put yeah. those two people together, that helps solve a problem, right? Yes, it does. It but, does, yeah. I mean, it's not for everyone, right? And you've no. done very well on your own, right? So, I mean, yeah. Yes. Yeah. you know, yeah. you, may, you may not need that, right? But, I mean, it is something to consider down the road. So. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. 
um, as the houses become more and more expensive and the banks are getting tighter and tighter, I think you have to consider yeah. that now. <laughs> you know, it wasn't that way years ago, but even my own mortgage broker says, you know, he's had so many deals go south because yeah. you as an investor have everything, but the banks or the mortgage or the credit union or, or A, B or C or D lenders, right, are yeah. saying no because the government's coming hard down on them. So they may want to do it. But, you know, they just can't get certain uh, past certain things the government wants from them, which puts so much strain on anyone who wants to make money with real estate now. It's changed Bri- a lot. Brian, we're going to have to phone Harold the Mortgage Closer. <laughs> Sign, the papers the the mortgage closer? <laughs> Sign the papers in the back room of the jewelry store in Toronto. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Oh, I can imagine. What's he going to charge? 20% or something? Oh, my God. Yeah. 20%. It, the phone's know? ringing off the hook. <laughs> God. So I would sad. never do that. Oh, my goodness. No, you know what? It's not ever that necessary to go into debt that way. It has to carry you know, your property. Like my father, he said, make sure the house works for you and not you work for it. Yeah. And what he meant by that is make sure that the house carries itself. And I'm, I'm always looking for a 10% return on investment. When I look yeah. at property, and if it's not making it at that time, I know what I have to bring it up to the level of making, you know, yeah. turning 10%. 10% Absolutely. is a good number because it covers all your costs and any emergency situation. These properties, Maria, that you pick up, um, mm-hmm. are they typically turnkey or are you doing some work yourself? Um, normally, I buy them. Like, like I'm talking about just normal, right? Any properties I buy, usually they're all set up. I mean, I, I have to bring in the furniture, you know, and then I get an interior decorator to come and decorate or I do it myself, right? But the how you usually don't have to do much work with any properties I've purchased. That's why I pay a little bit more money because what I do, my, my methodology is the moment that I purchase the properties, the moment I rent it, the same day I close, the same day people move in. So that's how I've always done it for 20 years is that I don't buy properties that need any work at all except maybe a little bit of lipstick and rouge and that can get done either before or during with the people are there, or I don't have to do a thing until people move out. That's how I've done it all these years. Well, it's obviously working for you. So good job. Yes. Good yes. job. Yeah, I, I, uh, I never bought junkers. I always bought good properties in good areas. They had families living in there. Or, you know, they were moving out, so they were in great shape. And I just moved my furniture in, got furniture. People moved in also. And that was the end of the story for a year because I was doing more long-term rentals in Niagara Falls, St. Catharines, and um, Thorold. That's in our defense, Maria, we've bought chunky properties, and there's been families living there, too. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I didn't buy those kind of junky properties. <laughs> and you know what I do, Brian and Jay? I, I specialize in areas. Like, I was specializing in areas like I love Seacord Woods in St. Catharines. It's a great area. I bought a semi-detached, and they were big houses, well-built. Um, in good areas, nice big yards, and I did a number of uh, rentals there. And then Thorold, I got a big house in Thorold in a newer area, and St. Catherine's uh, beautiful heritage home, and Niagara Lake, of course, one heritage, one, you know, 1974, and then in Niagara Falls, I guess they were maybe built 1980s or something like that, you know? So I really specialized certain kinds of homes after a while, and for the, the longer-term rentals, they were usually semi-detached because they were less expensive. That's the ones I went for. So Maria, let's switch gears for a bit because you're a, you're a woman who wears many hats. Yes, I do. At some, <laughs> at some point, you need to switch to not only being an investor but to being an advocate. Yes. And you've yes. launched a few successful landlord advocacy groups. Mm-hmm. Um, how yes. did that come about? Um, I think it started uh, because I, I belong. I'm on the board of directors for a number of associations. The one of them is Hamilton District Apartment Association, and. Um, they're very heavy, heavily involved with advocating for the landlord in Hamilton and also advocating they were against the um, licensing. And um, so I was very much involved for 12 years with the group, still part of the group, but I'm not on the board of directors at this point anymore. I'm on their committees uh, for advocacy. But in, in St. Catharines, the same thing, too, is I always kept in touch with other landlord groups. And uh, and they were always advocating against when St. Catharines tried to license uh, student rentals. I mean, fought it in, in, and then all the way to Superior Court for that. So we lost that in 2017, but we were fighting against the license thing then. 
I've always been involved with lander groups in the Niagara Peninsula, and that's what kept me advocating for groups. And I was also um, the Hydro Commissioner, the Niagara Lake Hydro Commissioner, the only woman Hydro Commissioner in their history. And I started advocating there to hold on to the um, the hydro because they were going to sell the hydro commission to a Buffalo company. And I fought against that, and we won. I won that. And I've always been fight. I've been a fighter since I was a kid. So when I see something I don't like and I don't think it's fair for whomever the group is, then I'll stand up for it. So that's kind of the way I started, Jay. <laughs> and I'm still advocating. <laughs> that's awesome. Good for you. We need more people like you. Yeah, but we, we want the young people like you to join forces. I love that you think I'm young. That's awesome. Well, yes, you're young. You're young, much <laughs> younger than I am. <laughs> just a little bit old, older than 12. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing too, Maria. Like you, you, you know, I mean, you've been quite the force over the last number of years in, in the Niagara region. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people see, you know, that heavy lifting that you're doing and, and people look to you and they're like, oh, Maria's got it, right? But unless as a group, we start to speak with a cohesive voice okay. and our strength is in numbers. Yes, and if we is. don't, if we don't get out yeah. there and, and speak on some of these important issues, like mm-hmm. they're just going to get railroaded through. Yeah, and the landlords have always been a very quiet, silent majority. And everybody says we're a minority. We're not. We're a majority. We've been silent. We've kind of, you know, um, complained to one another. But we haven't raised our voices. And that's why I was very, very vocal about getting this president's group started in Ontario and, and that our voices are heard. And that's why I started my radio show. So the landlord's voices would be heard. And that's why I started my podcast, my TV shows and all of that on, on YouTube. Because I want the landlords and the real estate investors and the landowners to be heard because no one hears us. No one even knows we're forced to be contented with. So I just thought, you know what, I think you better get started because we're going to be railroaded. It's gotten so bad with all the new laws coming in for the land and tenant boards and the Residential Tenancy Act. It's they're squeezing us out of our business. And I don't like to be squeezed out of my business. Mm-hmm. We work very hard. Don't you agree, Jay and Brian? We work very hard. We want to reap the fruit of our labor, and we're not reaping it right now. So it's wonderful, the young people coming in, and they you know, they want to get ahead, so they buy their first property. But unless they understand that it is a business, and you've got to protect yourself as a business, it's not just a hobby, that you need to join groups, associations, where your voices can be heard, united, and we can fight, and we can get things turned around. Because it's easy to buy, it's easy to sell property, but where you make your money is right in the middle there, where you have good tenants, you have good laws, and we don't have to pay so much for all our bills. That's where we make our profit. And unless we're careful, it's going to be eroded away. We're not going to have anything left by the end of the year. No, I think you're absolutely correct. Yeah, I think you've nailed it, honestly. So, Maria, what would you say has been the biggest challenge you've had to overcome uh, on your personal journey of real estate investing? Um, I would say now, um, more so the um, the financing. I'd say that's the biggest lock right now for anyone, not just me, for anyone. I mean, we should be able to buy our own properties with our own money and, and you know, have enough for a down payment or borrow, you know, from a friend or a family, you know, a second mortgage. That is the biggest problem now is financing because the more you have, the tougher they are on you. It should be the other way around. You know, if you've never defaulted on any payments and you've never defaulted on a mortgage and you've kept things up, why would they not want to give, send you money? But it seems that the more you have, the less they want to lend you. I agree. It's true. I would say that's my biggest challenge now. Just like, and it's not just me, it's for everyone right now. So, Maria, we have what we call a fire round part of our, our episode where we ask you a series of questions. Uh, mm-hmm. We ask these questions to all our guests, and we just want to see your perspective on it from your point of view. And sure. uh, are you up for a few questions? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Are you okay. away? <laughs> all right. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, so, Maria, where do you see yourself in the next 12 months? I would like to purchase more properties in the meantime. Um, that's one thing. And I do want to expand my podcast and my radio show and TV shows. I think that's very, very important to educate the investor and the landlord and landowner. That's where I see myself in 12 months. And where do you see the market in the next 12 months? Oh, interesting. That's a good one, you know, Brian. Thank you. 
Um, I think it's going to be a real tough market because there's so many inconsistencies going on um, in the financial world. I mean, if you just look at what's going on in the stock market, uh, people are pulling businesses out of different countries. Um, I think we're we're in for, I, I feel that we're in for a recession. I think we've been in a recession all these years. We just don't know about it. But I think what's happening is is because of the International Monetary Fund, because of the Federal Reserve Bank, we are sputtering out. Economically, we're sputtering out. And I see all the signs around me. There's less jobs for people. And if they have jobs, it's minimum wage. The prices of houses are going up. The young people can't even purchase properties anymore. They can't afford it. So I see that there's going to be a recession up. What that's going to look like right now, I I, I, I hesitate to say. Um, I just hope it's not going to be as bad as I think it's going to be. That's the way I see it in the next 12 months. Very interesting. So, Maria, um, who do you learn from? I'm always reading. I'm always reading uh, magazines, newspapers, online, uh, talking to investors, constantly talking to investors talking to real estate agents. I'm always out there learning about everything. I do research all the time, Jay. I'm constantly doing research and learning and um, meeting other people. And I'm just watching the market. So I've, I've, you know, I've been around for many years now, over 60 years on this earth. So I can see things as they progress, how things mm-hmm. are changing, what things were like before and how they're repeating again. I look at the stock market um, and I and I shake my head sometimes because a lot of that is just um, artificially being held up. Did you know that Wells Fargo closed their doors for a couple of hours or a couple of days? I mean, those are big signs. And Wells Fargo is one of the biggest banks in the United States. I mean, they closed their doors and people couldn't get money out of the bank. What I'm worried about, and, I, and I'm going to speak quite publicly about this, I think everyone should have cash at home. Do not rely on internet banking because the bank can always shut down like they did with Wells Fargo. You have no money to pay anything. Always have cash on hand. Be very diligent about your um, debt. You know, Try not to get in too much debt. Try not to use your credit card too much. Uh, make sure you have cash on hand that if something happens, you're able to bail yourself out. And this is very real. This is what I think. Yeah, that's very good advice. Um, so Maria, if, if, uh, what are you currently reading? And if you're not a reader, which, uh, podcasts are you listening to? Oh, I read everything all the time. I do a lot of research on YouTube. I love uh, YouTube because I love to watch it happening. So it's a lot of economics. Uh, a lot of the, um, the shows that I watch on YouTube or if I'm reading anything, it has to do with business and economics. I can't tell you which books I'm reading or whatever, because I just, go from article to article. I'm always reading with, with online. I don't even have newspapers anymore. I just go online and just read what's going on there. I read between the lines because I don't trust the, the media. I kind of look at things in between. And um, there's some wonderful, wonderful shows or podcasts on YouTube that I love listening to. And they're, they have a lot of very good advice. And they look at things that happened historically that happened and what, how there's a repetition in 2008 and what's happening right now or even earlier you know, in the century. So, yeah, that's that's kind of what, I, that's how I do my own research here now, Jay. And if you could do one thing differently in the last year, what would it have been? Start my podcast earlier. <laughs> I would have started my podcast a year ago. No one's listening to those podcasts. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> no one's listening to them? Oh, I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. I just have to hit the right target market. Just have to hit the right target market, you know? But I would have started that a year ago. I would have started my podcast, my TV show, and all of that because I was—I didn't know how to do that, right? I'm learning now. All of this is kind of new to me. I would have started that a year ago. So that's what I would have done a year ago. Maria, what advice would you give those sitting on the fence watching you? What would you say to them? Okay, uh, join an association. Join a real estate group like Jay, you know, who's got good advice. Jay is great as a mentor, as a business model. I've always um, admired Jay um, of what you've done, Jay, and you know your young family coming up. And obviously, you know what you're doing. Join associations, long-term associations, short-term associations, you know, and network and talk to people who are more successful than you. I always did that. I always looked for the most successful person that I felt good vibes with, and that's that's who I networked with, and I you know, kept 
friendships with. That's very important. Find a mentor, join associations, and study, 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 read. And before you make your decision, think about it, right? Think about it. Have deep pockets. You have to have money to carry things. If you don't have money to carry things and something happens, what are you going to do? Where are you going to find the money to to take care of things, unexpected things that may happen with your real estate or your own life? That's what I would suggest to young people. Well, that's great advice, Maria. Thank you. <laughs> So with that, Maria, just on behalf of Brian, myself, and Erica and the Real Estate Investors Lounge, we want to take uh, an opportunity to thank you uh, for taking some time out of your busy day. As I said, I know you're a woman who wears many hats, so pinning you down for an hour has been fantastic. And just hearing your story and learning a little bit about yourself and, and your journey in real estate investing, I think is incredibly inspiring for everyone listening. So just before we go, maybe if uh, people wanted to reach out to you, um, is there a couple, is there a way to get in touch yes, with you? Sure, sure. if you don't mind. If, if you wanted to look at my website, you can go on real, realwealthrealestate.com. Realwealthrealestate.com is where I post my blogs. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter under Maria Recruit. If you want to join my online associations, you can go under uh, Canadian, and this on Facebook, Canadian Real Estate Investors Association and also Niagara Landlords Association. And if you want to know more about my podcasts and articles that I may write or news that I share that is newsworthy for real estate investors, then it's called on Facebook, Real Estate Media News Network. Myself, you can call me at 289-273-5681. If you want to send me uh, an email, you can send it to realwealth at live.ca, so it's spelled R-E-A-L-W-E-A-L-T-H at live, L-I-V-E dot C-A, that's real wealth at live.ca. And I'm happy to have you come and and, um, participate. We have a meeting once a month in St. Catherine at Georgia's Greek Village. Every last Thursday of the month starts at 5 o'clock and goes until 9 o'clock. And I'm hoping to have you, Jay, as one of our speakers this month. And uh, so everyone's welcome to come to our monthly meeting in St. Catherine the last Thursday of the month, starting at 5 o'clock. And Maria's group is awesome because she has Thank personally you. had the mayor out at uh, yes, her I event. Have. I've never had the mayor at our event, so she, her <laughs> group is much better than mine. So Thank you. <laughs> we try. We try. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking to both you, Jay, and Brian, and you keep up your good work. You're, you're, you're wonderful to see such young people that are so successful. It's a pleasure to, right, to thank meet you. Thank you, Maria. It's been awesome, to, uh, been awesome to have you out. So. Thanks, Maria. Appreciate My your time. My pleasure. Take care, guys. Eh? All right. Take care. Hey, it's Jay from the Real Estate Investors Lounge, and I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. If you're serious about getting started in real estate investing, and you haven't taken that giant step forward, I challenge you to come out to one of our educational events. On the first Saturday of every month, we host an educational speaker at the Niagara REI. If you're interested in getting started, feel free to check out our website at niagarerei.ca.